You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, everyone, you are tuning into a live episode of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and today we're joined by Carrie Boleg and Craig Klickner to discuss how to build a side hustle that empowers you to live your life your way. This is especially important in today's world. Me and so many others I know have found a way to quit our full-time jobs by means of a side hustle. I started my podcast, Young and Profiting, as a side hustle a little over three years ago, and I I launched a second side hustle, Yap Media, last year, and I was able to quit my corporate job at Disney Streaming Services this past February. Young and Profiting Podcast is now frequently ranked as a number one educational podcast. I'm pulling in five figures in ad and sponsorship revenue every single month. My agency has 20 high-profile clients, 65 employees. We've made almost $2 million in our first year. And like I said, I've turned this side hustle into a full-time hustle. It's been super rewarding, but it took a ton of sacrifices, overcoming countless rejections, lots of early mornings and late nights. And I know my two guests on stage know a thing or two about the pitfalls and peaks of starting a side hustle as well. So I'm super excited for this conversation because it's one that I'm an expert on as well. I've done it twice and I'm super excited to talk to you guys today. So joining us on stage is Carrie and Craig, husband and wife duo who wrote the book, So You Want to Start a Side Hustle, Build a Business That Empowers You to Live Your Life Your Way. They have several successful businesses that include Tandem Consulting, Click Global, CC Global, Tandem Writing, and Tandem Giving. And they also host a podcast together called Tandem Talks. In their 20s and 30s, they achieved the primary goal of stepping away from corporate America and they made their side hustles, their main hustles. And now they consider themselves to be full-time parents and entrepreneurs. And today they speak all over the world. They have multiple passive revenue streams, and they spend their time with their kids, their wife, and having a nonprofit. So welcome to the stage, Carrie and Craig. Happy to have you guys here. Hello, Hala. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. And it's one of our favorite topics to talk about. So we'll, we'll enjoy diving in with you. Yes, it's going to be awesome. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to have a guided interview for the first 45 minutes. Uh, I think a bunch of my podcaster friends will probably end up showing up, maybe asking questions themselves. And then the last half hour or 20 minutes or so, we'll have people from the stage, from the audience, come up and ask their questions. So if you're in the audience and you have a question, raise your hand, put your question in your bio, and then we're going to pull you up on stage. If you guys want to come in during the conversation, during the interview, that's fine too. As long as you have your question in the bio and it's relevant, I'll bring 
bring you up on stage and you can ask it. So uh, let's kick it off with a softball question to Carrie and Craig. In your 20s and 30s, you both achieved your goal of stepping away from corporate America. Now you guys are full-time entrepreneurs. I'd love for you guys to summarize your journey, your side hustle journey, how you ended up making your side hustle your full-time hustle. And why don't we kick it off with Carrie and then we'll go to Craig. Yeah, no, I, you know, for me, I had never really thought about building a business. It wasn't until I was about to graduate from college where I realized that adage of go to school, get a good job, live happily ever after just wasn't really the right recipe for our generation. Um, so I just got pretty open-minded. I had quite a few friends who were doing well in corporate America who had graduated ahead of me, but even the ones who had good jobs were still struggling financially. And so I got pretty active networking, actually. And that is one of my best suggestions for anybody that wants to make power moves, whether it's entrepreneurially or more in a traditional career, is to get busy meeting people. Um, And so what happened is I actually met a couple out of Chicago who had scaled a number of businesses to a significant enough level where they were able to, you know, not work traditionally. And I said, I want that. (laughs) It was just a neat model of a lifestyle that no one in my sphere of influence had ever attained. Um, My father is an entrepreneur. All my uncles are entrepreneurs. Um, My grandfathers were both entrepreneurs, but all of them worked really hard into their 60s. And so this idea of having like a good lifestyle with a lot of time wealth was really appealing to me. And so I just got active chasing their thought process, really working to earn their guidance, their time, and their mentorship. And they had leveraged some online systems in affiliate marketing, network marketing, direct sales. And for me, I was just very flexible on the initial mediums because I didn't have a lot of expertise or skills or really I didn't have the finances to build more of a traditional startup. So I said, what the heck, I'll leverage you know, their help, take some evenings and weekends and just slowly do what we call moderate entrepreneurship. So we, we joke that at that point, we were not like the Elon Musks of the world or the uh, Mark Zuckerbergs. It was, hey, how do we take 5, 15, 20 hours a week and just pound out building a side business um, and incre- incrementally really scaled those to several million, um, started doing education and public speaking at that point, scaled that to six figures. Um, and for me, I had a teaching background. I was actually a preschool teacher by trade. And so it was nice not making a lot of income in my in my job. I was actually able to replace that fairly quickly. So in my mid-20s, you know, I was able to make that pivot and really own my day. And I joke that I was able to beat my parents' retirement by about four decades, which was which was pretty powerful and ultimately the vision for me. So Craig, I'll kick it over to you. His background's fairly different than mine. So we've got a little texture between the two of us. Yeah, definitely. Can you hear me okay, Carrie? Yeah, you're good. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So my background's in in finance, jujitsu, kung fu, uh, black belt stuff, right? So I studied finance and econ, got the good job with GE Capital, Deutsche Bank uh, out of school. And, you know, I was doing well, but I just knew I wanted more. And so the, the question is like, well, what do we do? Right. And so first I started investing and bought my first piece of real estate at 24. But the problem was like many people who say they're going to do real estate is I ran out of capital. It's not when you can buy the first property, it's when you can buy the fifth, right? And so I did the answer, which was the solution to everything, go to MBA school, right? Let me get another degree. But then I realized that was just a bunch of people training me how to do better in the corporate world and build someone else's company. So I was at a point where I was frustrated. I was willing to work hard. I had the ambition, but I didn't have a lot of capital. I didn't have a lot of expertise, but I was teachable. So 
Um, Carrie and I actually met through our business partners, and they really started talking to us about a few things that, that Hala, I think will be interesting for your audience. Number one, you don't need to be an inventor to be a successful business owner. You don't have to invent anything. You can own a McDonald's, you can own uh, you know, multifamily properties. There are a lot of things you can do where you don't need an original build something from scratch, change the world idea. So that's one thing they helped me dispel. The other thing is to focus more on systems versus products. So most of us are so focused on what's the product, what's the product. Yes, you need a good product, but if you can't scale it and systematize it, then you can never use the product to create a fantastic, magical life which is what we were interested in. And the other thing that they really taught me is your business does not need to be your passion. So this is kind of a kick in the, in the face or a punch in the face for some people. Um, where a lot of us are told, if you're going to start a business, you have to be passionate about it. Well, do you need to be passionate about your job to go to it? No, it's a means to an end. So for us, we used systems, we used flexibility, and we used platforms that were low cost, but scalable and systemizable to start our first companies. Now, where we went after we built those to several million in revenue is a ton of fun because we have a, a tech startup I've, we've co-founded. We have you know the podcast, we have a book, we have other companies. We like to do angel investing. But to start out, you don't have to like change the world with your idea. Just learn how to be an entrepreneur and you can always build from there. So um, I was able to step away from corporate America about five years ago. Uh, it has been the most um, remarkable blessing to wake up and own your day. Our biggest thing was how do we divorce our time from our income? Like, let's give them, let's send like the divorce papers and say, hey, we want to wake up. We can still do things to make money, but we don't have to do anything in order to pay our fundamental basic bills. And living that way has, has really changed our life. And it's opened up this freedom to chase our passions, which we wish upon every human being on planet Earth. Here's the challenge. And, and I'll wrap with this because this is a long answer between the two of us. But a lot of people start a side hustle. There's an epidemic of people starting side hustles, but there's very few people that know how to finish them. And they don't know how to finish them because they've never defined what finishing is. So hats off to all your success and everything you've done. And I'm sure you've had some kind of plan. I mean, you might not have known everything, but you had some kind of reason why you were starting in order to actually achieve said result. Because if you don't have a target, it's certainly very hard to hit it. So that's just a quick uh, synopsis on where we're at and kind of our journey and um, everything we own. We own 50-50, uh, which has its own interesting challenges and insights uh, and very different uh, backgrounds and personalities. So it's been a ton of fun. And um, we like to say life should be more of a playground versus a manufacturing plant. And um, that's what we feel. That's what we've been blessed with. And we love paying that forward to others who are ready for that journey. Yeah, I got a chance yeah, to a chance. read your book and it was really good. So I'm, I'm super excited to talk about all of your strategies to start a side hustle. And from personal experience, I have to say that starting a side hustle myself was the most life-changing thing that I ever did. And is mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that I sacrificed those two, three years of just working through weekends, working at night, working in the morning, because now I'm a full-time entrepreneur. I can go get my hair done in the middle of the day. I can walk my dog in the middle of the day. I can do what I want. I can decide that I don't want to work one day if I don't want to. It is the ultimate level of freedom when you're an entrepreneur. And I work really hard still, but nobody is dictating my life. And I feel like that freedom is something that is just amazing. And I was stuck in corporate for so many years. Mm -hmm. And the happiness that I feel now as an entrepreneur is unparalleled to what I what I felt before. 
So let's talk about how time is our most valuable asset because I truly believe that. And I think there's so many people out there working jobs that they don't love. Um, So can you guys talk to us about the time money paradox that so many people are stuck in and why you believe that time is not money? Yes. Uh, So people say time is money. Well, that is wrong because they're two different concepts in two different worlds, two different definitions. They are interrelated. And that's where people get confused. But the reality is, is we can make money, lose it. We can make it back. We cannot do that with our life. And so ultimately, time is more valuable. uh, And to trade something more valuable for something less valuable is not great business. (laughs) Now, um, we've done it, hence the idea of a side hustle, right? Because we weren't the born Elon Musk, like entrepreneur attached to my forehead. We're probably less entrepreneurial than you are, like quite frankly, by, by natural default. But we realized we had to get out of that game. And so the only way you can get out of that game is to build asset, ongoing, passive, progressive, passive income, something in that bucket that moves you in that direction. And what a lot of, if you read Kiyosaki, what a lot of he talks about is people go from the E quadrant to the SE, self-employed, but they never learn how to make that transition to like build systems, have employees and build a big business or big investments um, that can ultimately buy back their time. Because if you create enough passive income, as as you know, um, you can not have to work if you don't want to. And for us, that was the dream. That was the vision. That was the goal. And um, yeah, that's what we were able to accomplish. But again, that's because that's what our goal was. Where a lot of people, I think they just want to start a side hustle or a business, grow it, look really sexy, look really cool, make a lot of money, but then they just end up with a life in chaos rather than a life that they actually have control over. So if you know that on the front end, you're much more likely to strike the iron. So Kara, do you want to add anything on top of that? Yeah, the only yeah, the thing only that thing I would that... add is is this idea of being busy really trips a lot of people up. And and I think at 22, I thought I was busy. I really did. Um, now having a couple kids and all the other businesses and nonprofit, I feel like busy has a totally different uh, concept in my life. But the, the idea for me was even though I felt busy, leveraging a side hustle really as a reason, like like taking the whole time excuse or time barrier is actually the reason to build something because my life was only going to get busier. <laughs> the more responsibility that I had in a career over time, the more I took on my plate. If I didn't do something about being busy and really harness that, it was really going to be more of a long-term issue for me. So I think that would be one suggestion for anybody listening in. Um, and also just, you know, to Craig's point, figuring out how business owners think about time and thinking ROI. How do I create return on investment on my time versus just thinking very linear? You know, you go to work for 40 hours, you get paid for 40 hours, or you go for 50 hours and get paid for 40, <laughs> even worse. And, you know, and in, in, in my early phases too, I think the reality for me is I didn't have a lot of capital, but I had a ton of sweat equity I could invest. I had I had time that was like really on my side as a young entrepreneur. So just realizing what my assets actually were and really putting them to work was probably one of the smartest things that I did. So Yeah, that's super interesting. I totally agree with everything you guys are saying. So let's back it up a little bit. Let's give people some context. A lot of us have heard of side hustle. It's it's a super hot word. Everybody talks about having a side hustle. And it means making money alongside your main form of employment or income. And so I know you guys have a little twist in terms of what you define side hustles as. So why don't you guys give your definition of what a side hustle is? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when a lot of people think of making a little extra money, we would just consider that or label that as gig work or temp work or shift work. And this is not like the universal definition, but we want to create a breakage or, or a splinter here so that people really realize in their mind what they're doing. Because if you just want to freelance, you're good at your career, you're in marketing, you're in social media, you just want to freelance and make a little extra cash, that's great. Like You could technically call that a side hustle, but we would call it more gig work. We consider a side hustle something that could be built and scaled into a big business. And that's just the way we've defined it so that people, when we're talking to folks and when we're speaking in the book, people understand that there's a bigger picture, a bigger vision at play. And it doesn't have to be huge. I mean, you don't have to want to build a billion dollar business, but at least be able to scale to a point where you can start to buy back your life. That's really what we define as a side hustle. So thanks for allowing us to do that here today. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay, so when it comes to side hustles and deciding what side hustle to start, how can you tell if your side hustle is a good idea? What are the ways that you guys suggest that we test our idea or try to understand if there's demand for our side hustle and if it's scalable? I'll take that one. I So here's a couple of things I think about. And, and I'm a former commercial banker. So I've seen a lot of businesses, like a lot. I've seen the guts of a lot of businesses and many business owners make money and are wealthy, but they're broke in other areas of their life. And so we can talk about this maybe, but we, we talk about having a good life set. So there's everybody talking about mindset, 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 which is like your way of thinking, but we define life set as your way of living, right? And so what you want to do when you start to think about side hustle options is number one, think about what is your goal? Okay, that's that's first off. Secondly, well, most people make a mistake when they go to learn a foreign language or a sport, you don't go to Google, right? You just don't. You go to an association or other people who are successful in that arena. So one of our biggest recommendations we can make, and again, we're sort of flipping the equation a little bit. We're saying instead of focusing on the what, why don't you focus on your life vision? How do you want to live? What's important to you? What kind of person do you want to be? Which sounds a little hoity-toity, but it's actually really important. Okay, When you start to visualize that, now instead of jumping to, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Who do you know who's already successful? It's so simple and it's so overlooked by most entrepreneurs and business owners because they think they have to go it alone. I, we can't tell you how many people we know who are, who are business owners are trying to be successful, quote-unquote, entrepreneurs. And I'm like, great, who are you mentoring with? What multimillionaires do you know? Who, what successful entrepreneurs do you associate with? And the answer is like, oh, well, my buddies are excited. It's like, that's a terrible plan. That's like me trying to learn French because I'm Googling it or reading a book. Like, no, go and associate. So that would be the first layer, okay? The second layer then is to start to look at what's practical for you. Meaning, quit trying to get into a game that you can't afford a ticket or aren't willing to borrow the money to get a ticket. You want to go into commercial real estate or be an angel investor? Awesome. Where's your million bucks, right? Or are you willing to borrow that and go high on leverage, right? If the answer is no and no, stop pretending and let's start looking at opportunities that you can actually engage in, like, you know, building a social media community, podcasting, right? Uh, direct sales, buying a small franchise, right? So there are plenty of opportunities. So the first thing is like, what is my capital, right? What is my time frame? What am I trying to accomplish? And then start to look at some other things like what kind of risk am I willing to take? What's my current expertise, right? If you're a CPA, obviously starting a CPA firm or becoming a consultant 
makes a lot of sense. It may or may not be your best vehicle, but at least it's an option. So start to take inventory of those basic type fundamental things. And we have you know, a basic worksheet or a matrix where you can start to quantify and rate different business opportunities and look at them like, hey, do I want to be a real estate agent or do I want to leverage my time and own a real estate agency? Those are two completely different universes, right? And so a lot of people are just thinking agent, agent, sell, sell, make extra cash. And my thinking would be, no, build an agency because then you can have a lifestyle and have a bunch of agents that you oversee. So those would be just a couple of things. And then the last thing I'll kick it over to Carrie is systems. So don't think just product. Think, how do I systematize this? Can I scale it? And can I automate it? Because that's what's going to yield a lot of lifestyle. I'll bounce pass over to Carrie and I'll let her field the next question first. <laughs> yeah, no, Craig, yeah, that's no, all Craig. super, super solid thought process. And the other thing I would add, and, and Holly, you really referenced it is look for demand. Like maybe you want to own a restaurant or a bar, or like, can you start a food cart first? Could you even round up some catering gigs in your area to at least just figure out if you have a viable, potentially scalable idea and go from there? Um, and to Craig's questions, like, what are you willing to do when you're assessing all your different options? Certain side hustles are going to require a different amount of work in certain areas. Some are going to require a lot more, you know, outbound sales, other maybe more social media based. Um, what are you not willing to do? And just being very, very honest with yourself. Um, I feel like if you're not willing to do work on evenings and weekends, that's usually a really good indication that a side hustle is not a great option for somebody assuming that you work full-time during the day, more traditional hours, that's kind of the time you have left over to build something supplementary. So being candid and real, um, are you willing to travel? Are you willing to learn a new suite of skills outside of your industry? And that's where we, we really do like to nudge people a little bit to think a lot broader um, than just what their, their current gig is. A lot of people really anchor their identity in their career path. So it's like, I am engineer, I am logical. Um, but we really just believe people are so much more dynamic than that. So being open-minded and very flexible on the what is my best suggestion. Um, and then lastly, not serial business hopping. Because a lot of people, they get excited about the end game. They get excited about what they see in their social media feed. It looks flashy. It looks glamorous. It looks super sexy. It looks like everybody's winning, right? But business ownership is tough. And a lot of people will start something. They'll go through that honeymoon phase of like everything is blissful and amazing, but then the work gets hard and everybody goes through a phase of doubt and disbelief, potentially more than once, where just reality sets in and things aren't as glamorous. They're not as fresh. It's, it's kind of like when you start a new relationship and, you know, your significant other does weird things and you think it's cute for the first six months, but come month nine, it's really annoying and can actually, you know, create resentment. So it's, you know, how, how emotionally grounded can you be when you start something Otherwise, we see a lot of people just think the grass is greener on the other side, go jump to the next business model or business environment. But meanwhile, the, the inner work was never really done. And so it's just this perpetual sort of spiral of not really being able to anchor and create real success and get closer to that life vision that Craig talks so much about. So... I think everything that you're saying is wonderful. I'd like to take a moment and talk about my side hustle journey because my story happened really organically. I know you guys have mentioned a few times that you really should have the end goal in mind, but there's also ways to create a side hustle that turns into a full-time hustle that 
can happen really organically if you're aware of the opportunities that surround you. And so I started Young and Profiting Podcast three and a half years ago. It was just a way for me to give back. I had a very successful career at Hewlett Packard and then later Disney. And I never thought that I would make money off my podcast. I never thought that I would ever quit my job. I thought I was just going to become like a CMO and then a CEO and just make my way up the corporate ladder. And I was happy to do that. I liked being in corporate, but I wanted this. I was in broadcasting. I was in radio. I wanted this outlet to share to the world. And I knew that I had that talent. So I wanted to do it. So it happened really organically. I actually had volunteers for Young and Profiting Podcasts. By episode two, I had my first volunteer, Timothy Tan. He's now my business partner. By episode eight, I had 10 volunteers in a Slack channel. Fast forward, you know, as I kept getting bigger guests and bigger guests on the show, they would always say, Hala, your LinkedIn is amazing. Your marketing is amazing. Your podcast is great. Could you take over mine? And I'd always say, no, you know, I have a job. Like, this is just a hobby. I'm just doing this for fun. It's just my way to give back. But I would get the same question over and over again. And then once I was in at Disney, I felt like for the first time ever that my corporate career was stagnating. And I thought how can I do better? Like, I I feel like I'm not fulfilled. And then I started to just say, yes. People were asking me, can you take over my my marketing? I would just say, okay, sure. Like, let's start with your videos. I think my team can handle that. And then my 10 volunteers turned into team leads. And then, you know, I have some people who are volunteers like Kate, who's in the audience. She's leading 30 people now. She's been with me for a year and a half. We have 65 full-time employees. We made $2 million in our first year in business. Half that time I was still working at Disney Streaming. I had 35 employees by the time that I quit because I was so scared and happy enough in my corporate job that it took a lot for me to quit. So things can happen organically. And I think that my big lesson was being open to the demand that was around me and actually giving it a shot. Because I had an entrepreneurial background. I had it in me. I had all the skills. I knew how to be a leader. And it was just a matter of turning it on when I was ready to turn it on. So I want to talk about personality traits that thrive with side hustles. Because I feel like not everyone can have a side hustle. To your point, Carrie, you mentioned earlier that like, if you don't want to work on weekends and nights and you have a full-time job, like, how are you going to have a side hustle? You need to fit in that time. So who could, who should start a side hustle? How can you tell if you are the right candidate to start a side hustle? Yeah, I love the question, Hala. I mean, I think the biggest defining marker that I see in people who are successful versus people who fail in an attempt to build a side hustle is going back to growth mindset. Um, The book by Carol Dweck does a remarkable job of outlining what that is, but somebody who's like kind of like a dog on a bone, like even if the bone is buried really, really deep, they like rise to the occasion and actually really enjoy being challenged because entrepreneurship will challenge people daily, you know, even you talking about your story, Hollow, which I love, you know, hearing you outline that live. It's so BA. Um, but just, I'm sure even just rising to the occasion of the demand challenged you in so many different ways and um, being receptive to change. And a lot of people talk about change. Um, most self-help or leadership development books are about change, but I would say very few people 
actually do the hard manual work of creating change in their life. And so I would say those would be two very big markers as well as um, just adaptability. I think if, if this last year and a half has taught us anything um, is that being adaptable and being willing to pivot, you know, staying innovative and really being willing to be on the fringe of your competency is, uh, is really valuable. And especially as, as industries are changing and AI and technology, just being being resilient, but also open to just like changing with with the trends as need be and, and really staying current, I think is important. So Craig, from your side, what would you say? Yeah, I would add on top of that. I mean, IQ and EQ are a big deal. They're talked about a lot, but we we talk about this as AQ and that that is your adaptability quotient. So if you're in a job and you're comfortable and you're happy and you like it, you don't need to like follow this bandwagon and this procession off the cliff of like building a side hustle. Like you, there's no need, like just be happy. I would argue that most people are not hardcore entrepreneurs, but I also don't think that most people are hardcore, want to sit in a cube and never do anything on their own. I think most people are somewhere in between. The ambiverts of entrepreneurship is what I like to refer to, to most people as. So what the beauty and the strength of a side hustle is that you can dip your toe in the water and check it out. And you don't have to like jump all in and you can walk along the beach and, and scale up or down if you're feeling it or not feeling it. So um, I think the question is, what do you want? What's valuable to you? And again, what kind of life do you want to live? Because if your job is feeding that properly, then you don't need more food. But if, if not, you'll know uh, you'll have that itch. You're probably on this call or this podcast for probably that reason. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is, should you be doing a front hustle, right? Because some people are like, well, if I do anything, I'm all in, which I think is kind of silly because there's very few things we go 100% all in on in our life. But the reality is a lot of people say, well, I need to really do this restaurant and borrow 300 grand and go for it. And, and Carrie mentioned this earlier, but dude, start a food cart first. Like make sure you actually like cooking all the time, right? Or you want to oversee the sous chefs and oversee cooking or, you know, do the catering. So I think a side hustle gives people the opportunity to poke and play around. And they might find they, I think some people find they don't like it. It's, it's too uncomfortable. They don't, they're not as growth minded as they thought they were. <laughs> um, and that's okay. At least you didn't risk your life savings in order to get there. So I would say those are a couple things to just keep in mind on whether a side hustle is, is for you or not. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And 
I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a hundred dollar credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Young and profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their big give week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love. Now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're gonna buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands, so that's gonna be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and profiters, you're gonna wanna grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cashback rates for only eight days. So hurry, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Yeah, 100%. I think that is great advice. So let's talk about employers who believe that side hustles will actually hurt performance of their employees on the job. So they believe that anybody who has a side hustle is going to perform poorly at work. Let's debunk that myth. Carrie or Craig, who wants to kick it off? 
Yeah, I can speak to that. You know, I think I think it's a reasonable concern. You know, if someone is paying you for full-time work, I think it is really important to put a box around that and really perform and, and do good work. Um, John Travolta, I heard a podcast by him and he just kept reiterating his life mantra is do good work. And I, I really believe in that. So work to compartmentalize. But from my perspective, if you go into the jungle, um, as Ray Dalio calls it, you know, i.e. Uh, entrepreneurship, you're going to have to learn a lot of new skills. If, if, if you have to develop leadership, better communication skills, better networking, stronger confidence overall, like that's all going to bleed back into your career if you're doing it right. So compartmentalize the time factor, but let your skills and your growth become so fluid that your employer is nothing but impressed at how you're leveling up and, and taking more ownership in, in your career. And, you know, I think the interesting thing is, is once you actually own your own show, you all of a sudden start to relate and understand your employer that, that much more. You also start to understand and relate what they want out of their employees because you're in their shoes to some extent and you're in your own, you know, side hustle. So I actually think it's a really solid, you know, duality if you do it well. And we talk a lot in the book just about making sure that you're putting a little bit of a box around your job, though, too. Like if you're getting paid to work 40 hours, work 45, not 70, you know, really working to find a job that actually supports you in, in having a business outside of that. Because if your coworkers are gung ho and they don't have anything they're doing on the evenings and weekends to build wealth, them working an extra 10 hours, there's different opportunity costs than you having to put in an extra 10 hours versus maybe finding a job that's more conducive that gives you that time flexibility so that you can actually really build and scale something that's significant over time. So those would be a couple suggestions. And um, I think a lot of employers are changing their tune on that. I think some are not, but I think as a movement more are as they start to see the different benefits and and people being able to really rock the show in, in multiple environments. Yeah. And I'd love to just add one piece here and then I'll kick it over to Craig. I would say that having a side hustle gives you new knowledge that you wouldn't learn at your company. Like institutional knowledge is a real thing. I remember being at Hewlett Packard for four or five years and I learned everything that the company had to offer. But once I started my podcast, I started learning all these new things. I had to get involved with social media. I had to get involved with learning how to podcast. I had better interview skills and all these things you wouldn't realize could help you so much in your day job. You can apply skills in a different way and do better at your job, in fact. So Craig, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, I really just want to echo that. I mean, GE and Deutsche Bank paid a lot of money for me to go to trainings, right? And as soon as I started side hustling, I started learning how to public speak and communicate and sell. And my, my income tripled at General Electric from the time I started my side hustle till the time that I left. And so Yes, you will learn new skills. And if you use them properly, they will help you crush it in the corporate world. In fact, the corporate world will seem easy if you build a multi-million dollar business. Um, it'll, it'll really feel like a joke. Uh, the other thing that I, I just want to say really fast is that most people are so focused on like their specific niche skill that they don't have an opportunity to develop those other skills. And so they spend their whole life telling themselves, I'm an analytic, I'm a CPA. And it's like, you might be the best public speaker in the world. You just never had an environment to like harness that and encourage it. And you just don't know it. And so 
building a side hustle absolutely pushes us. Last thing is, when you own a company, you have to own the results. And, and I'm sure you feel this all the time. It's like, now you've got 65 full-time employees. Like you are, you're on the hook. You need to get the ball over the goal line. And when I learned how to own my projects or my portfolios in the corporate world, my bosses loved it because it was like bottom line, they knew Craig was going to get the job done. They were Craig was going to deliver because I learned that mindset of ownership because I had a side hustle in my own business. So I think those skills and mindset are invaluable and you should be learning them anyway. They, they can absolutely help you back in the job front. Amazing. Thank you for Amazing. dropping Thank those you. value bombs. And with that, I want to talk about the steps to start a side hustle. Is there a, a typical timeline or trajectory when it comes to a side hustle, Craig and Carrie? Let us know. I, I guess I'll feel that one first there. I, no, the answer is no. I mean, yes, there's probably a mean or an average, but like what you did is absolutely remarkable. You scaled quite quickly and really took things to the next level very fast. I mean, for us, after about four or five years, we had a million dollar revenueing company. And then after probably 10 years, we were at 3 million. So that's good quality scaling, but it wasn't like nuts out of the gates, like blow your mind uh, in terms of growth, right? So a little bit has to do with how much time are you willing to put in? When do you want to flip the switch off your day job, right? What industry are you operating in? Because now, I mean, we can get in the game in commercial real estate and yeah, we can make pretty good money, but that's because we're leveraging the current capital we have. I think probably a lot of folks on this call or maybe most side hustlers might not already be an angel investor. So in that case, you're going to have to build with sweat equity. And the question becomes, how hard are you willing to work? Because some people, I think, Hala, you'll, you can relate to this. There's like a, an entitlement mentality over success. You can have an entitlement mentality over starting a business, but you don't get the entitlement mentality over building a million dollar or multi-million dollar company. And it takes a lot of work. So three hours a week. Okay, great. A hundred hours a week. Okay, great. 200 hours a week. I mean, how bad do you want it? And where do you want to go? So I hate to put too much of a time frame on it. I will uh, echo what Carrie was talking about before that there will be a honeymoon phase. <laughs> and there will be a doubt and disbelief phase. And through that you will hit a steady growth phase. If you're good, and you're consistent, and you learn and you grow and you make appropriate changes. So I would just say be prepared for those phases. Uh, that's really important. Carrie, do you want to add anything on that? Otherwise, uh, Paula, this might be a good one for you to toss in on too. I'd love to hear your perspective after Carrie weighs in. Yeah, you know, one section on the book that Craig really pioneered was this, the different phases. So it'd be kind of fun actually, Craig, to hear you speak to that. But, you know, initially people are typically very underpaid. They tend to get a lot of crap from <laughs> loved ones or people who don't understand their vision. Um, you know, as as they continue to stay consistent and steady and do the work and you know, find the demand. A lot of times people start to get a little bit more street cred. You know, they're starting to create some rewards. They're probably not totally profitable at that point yet, but they're 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 gaining on it, right? And then they start to maybe get a little bit more profitable, but maybe the work starts to get a little bit old. You know, you're like, man, I wish I didn't have that 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 entrepreneurial itch. Like I wish I didn't have that like deeper you know, excitement or commitment to grow something on my own, because it does get hard at a certain point too, when you haven't totally, um, you know, been able to scale or delegate out things, but then you really do hit this tipping point after a certain amount of years, or if you're hollow, like probably months, <laughs> um, and, and you start to actually get overpaid and you're like, wow, I can't believe like I can make this much income or, you know, do this little of work in a given week or month 
based on, on, on my business model, but really being able to hand off or delegate or hire out a lot of the work, but still create a really amazing lifestyle. So just understanding that that trajectory, it starts out really flat and then over enough time, you can really hit that spike or tipping point and, and pass the threshold. And that's where things get really, really good. But a lot of times people aren't willing to stay anchored for long enough. A lot of people do enough work, but not enough work for long enough to really capture the rewards and the benefits. And so that would be my suggestion is just like have that longevity and really be willing to play the long game if you are looking to create really bodacious rewards from a side hustle. Yeah. So, Hala, I'd love to hear you chime in on this. Yeah, I feel like I have so much to say about this. First of all, I want to say that my side hustle, the agency portion, blew up so fast. In a month, I was already generating like $40,000 a month in revenue. In a month. And that blew up so fast because I had built my brand already. I had spent so much sweat equity building the podcast, building my own marketing, building my LinkedIn profile, building my team of volunteers and our culture at, at Yap as just a volunteer team that was interested in being of service to other people. And so once I turned everything on, it was just like, I still don't advertise for my agency. I only get referrals or it's the people who come on my show end up being my clients. I still don't even advertise or, or try to acquire new clients. It's just incoming leads all the time. And it's because I took time to build my personal brand. So I think having a personal brand is so powerful when you want to do this kind of stuff. So I just wanted to call that out because I feel like the only reason why everything happened so quickly for me is because I was just of service giving, 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 giving to my audience for years. Years, and then I turned everything on and it was very profitable very quickly. The other thing I'll say is that we all have the same 168 hours a week. I think the number one thing people tell me is I don't have time to start a side hustle. I don't have the time. I was running a number one podcast, had an executive career at a corporate job, had a boyfriend that, you know, I had to make dinner for every night, still worked out and, you know, started my agency. We all have the same amount of time. Of course, if you have children, that will take up a lot of time, but there's so much unproductive time that is on your calendar. Be real with yourself. If you're saying you don't have the time, are you watching TV? I didn't watch TV for three years, literally. I didn't even turn on the TV. Because I knew that that was unproductive and that wasn't going to bring me any closer to my goals and that wasn't going to produce podcast content and I needed all the time that I could get. On my train ride to Disney every day, I would write my LinkedIn post. On my train ride back, I would do all my DM engagement. I literally grew my LinkedIn profile to 60,000 followers on the freaking train every day back and forth to work. That's the only time I put into it. So it's possible if you figure out these pockets of time. So let's say if you watch TV two hours a week, if you decide I don't want to watch TV two hours a week, you just unlocked 14 hours to work on your side hustle just by giving up TV. So do you scroll on social media for two hours? Just convert that to your side hustle time. You know, could you wake up an hour earlier? Could you sleep an hour later? You got another two hours in the day. Could you work four hours on Saturday and Sunday? There you go. Like there's time in the day if you know how to capture it. And I just feel like a lot of people use the excuse as they don't have enough time. And I think that that's just an excuse. So you do have the time to start a side hustle. It is possible if you, you want to do it. So let's talk about self-image 
In your book, you guys say self-image is not just one ingredient of a side hustle. It is the magic ingredient. So tell us, how does your own self-image play into running your side hustle? Yeah. So I, I really strongly believe that if we don't feel worthy of creating success, we are likely not going to inconvenience ourselves <laughs> to try and chase it down. So I, I, I feel like there is a very strong lid on where we go in life, really contingent on our own personal belief, our own value we, we feel in ourselves. And so making that an intentional area of growth should be really high priority. And in my journey, you know, again, having two liberal studies degrees, I studied women's studies and sociology, didn't take any business courses, had never thought about building a business. I think my confidence had to do a little catching up, maybe more than the average professional, um, being young and having non-business degrees. But nonetheless, it was not like an a la carte item. It was absolutely the main entree. And if you think about even just this idea of networking, I think networking or public speaking are two areas that a lot of people Again, they want the end game. They're like jazzed about the end game, but oh, networking, oh, public speaking, I could never do that. Well, if you shy away from going and, and shaking the hand of somebody who might be the perfect connection to help you with your side hustle, either a mentor or a potential big client, um, you're never going to make those bold moves unless you feel that inner value and that deeper confidence. So I would say reading would be one of the number one suggestions that I could give people in terms of how to grow that muscle on a more inner independent level, um, but also just experiential learning. I don't think you can put a price tag on how much you grow personally when you're out in the field doing the work. And I can think of so many scenarios that were absolutely terrifying to me, but then I would do it anyways. I would be afraid, I would do the thing, and I would feel like a million bucks afterwards. And I've come a long way, Hala. Like when I was 22 and went to my first networking event, there would be a break where, you know, people would actually kind of mingle. I would go stand in the bathroom because I felt so awkward being around other successful professionals. So I, I, I hope people understand that change is truly possible. If you're willing to look fear in the face and like walk straight into the fire, um, give yourself some grace as you do make mistakes and fumble because that is inherently part of experiential learning is you are going to bomb and you're going to do weird things here and there. But as long as you keep walking and you keep hacking away at the work, I truly believe that is the ultimate way to grow yourself in the process of simultaneously growing your side hustle. Yeah, we're not going to do anything if we don't believe we can win, right? And so I think most of us, and we've been guilty of this, I've been guilty of this, like self-sabotage, like, oh, Hala has a podcast of you know all these followers or she created all this success. Like, I don't know that I can do that. And, there's, and then there's this separation between you and the people who you're admiring or learning from. And Carrie and I, we, we just want to say like, if we can build a multi-million dollar business, not even like a billion dollar business, but just the companies that do a few million dollars in revenue, like any of you dialing in can do this. You have to believe that you can do it though. If that belief isn't there, you're not going to do anything. If you don't believe your company is going to pay you, you won't go to your job, right? And so working on that belief, like physically working on that, emotionally working on that is actually really important. And so what I've realized, and, and I would encourage anyone to, to think about this, is you have your own talent. You are remarkable in some way, shape, or form. You just have to learn how to find it and uncover it and stop comparing yourself to what Hala or maybe Carrie and I might be good at and you're not yet. 
And if you can push through that and have enough self-confidence, a high enough self-image to be at the edge and fringe of your comfort zone constantly and constantly learning, learning new skill, not actually just like, oh, wow, I had an epiphany, like that was a cool idea, but actually learning applicable skills because you're on the fringe of your comfort zone, then you can constantly be getting better and stronger and that will in turn improve your self-image. And, and I think we can accomplish anything, anything we set our minds to. Um, but it's not always easy. It's not always quick. It's not always fun. Um, but that would, that would be what we would say is, is the mindset that's needed uh, in order to go next level in any business, in any arena. 100%. I think the mindset of having a side hustle and believing in yourself is super key in terms of making any progress on your goals. So my, my last question to you all is the investment you should make in a side hustle. How much money should we spend? We already talked about sweat equity. I think time is something that you have to commit. You can't do anything if you don't take any action and action takes time. But how about the monetary investment? What would you guys suggest? How do we handle that? Well, being a banker, I've got a lot of feelings on borrowing money, you know, and going into debt. And so I would encourage most folks in general. Now, there's, of course, there's some exceptions. So you're asking the question, though, from a broad perspective, right? You don't need to borrow money to start a business, uh, not in today's day and age. You can if you if you need to, like, because that's your model and you're building something that rec- absolutely requires it. But you don't have to. And so the best thing that I can say is be willing to make enough money in your job so that then you can take that surplus cash and invest it as equity into your firm as capital. And so if you make 80K a year, learn how to live as humbly as you can. Maybe that's 30, 40, 50K a year. And then take the 10, 20 you've got as surplus and invest the daylights out of it, but back that investment up with action. So that's a very simple generic plan. Now, some people's risk thresholds are a lot different than others. <laughs> and so that's where you might want to get to learn, know yourself and all those types of things. And that's another thing where a coach or a mentor can really come into play. And again, you know, there's kind of a, a bit of an issue on LinkedIn, I think, of people who are coaches who are coaching people to be coaches. And it's like, no, what business has this mentor built? Because if they haven't actually built like a real company and created real revenue outside of coaching people, I would be a little skeptical. But if they have, that they'll be able to guide you. They'll be able to say, hey, you know, you've got a home and six children and your cash flow is really tight. You might want to be careful about putting your mortgage on the line, right? But if you're single and 25 and you've got 30 grand and you want to invest it into something, then maybe that makes sense. So it's a tough question for me to answer in a broad perspective, but from a very simple perspective, make as much as you can in your job, live super freaking humbly, live super humble, because then all of that extra money that you don't think you have to build a company, just like the time that you mentioned, those Starbucks coffees, the fancy dress, like the, uh, the cable TV. I mean, who buys cable anymore? That's ridiculous. Just put that money, like don't get a Netflix account, use your sister's ID. That's what we've been doing for 15 years. Not because we're not millionaires. I just don't want to waste money on Netflix when Carrie's sister has an account. Like take those monies and invest them into running a company so you can get wealthy and control your time and live, live something that's like really spectacular versus like, oh, I don't have the money. Like you do, you know, squeeze it somewhere and figure out how to get a good job so that you can, you can stabilize and be consistent. So Karen, any thoughts you want to add on there? 
Yeah, this is one of my favorite favorite topics to hear Craig riff on. So um, (laughs) I would reiterate really everything you said, you know, ultimately really crafting your ability to manage your personal finances. A lot of people talk a big game about wanting to build a $5 million, $500 million company, but learn how to manage your 100K job income first, right? Um, Because a lot of that sets a precedent for even being able to create seed money. And earlier, Hollow, we talked about, you know, your your side hustle skills and confidence are going to actually help you in your career. Don't be afraid to level up in your career and increase your salary too. learn how to negotiate for a high, higher salary um, or go into another industry that's going to pay you better because the, the more income you can save and, and simultaneously invest into the right places, it's going to likely help you scale more quickly. Um, and then don't be afraid to make changes. You know, Craig referenced the Netflix, but there's a lot of things like we never drove nice cars. Um, we didn't care about those things at all. Like there's a lot of very superficial things that people get very dialed into. And I think that's actually where a lot of people's confidence comes from is more of the superficial stuff. And we were just really willing to roll our sleeves up do the nitty gritty work and not worry about all like the flash. And I think that helped us develop a lot more investable money to actually scale more quickly. Um, You know, books by Dave Ramsey are amazing for helping instill the right thought process. Uh, The other aspect would be making sure you're investing into the right places in your business because maybe you do need to pay $1,000 to have good branding photos taken. Maybe you don't yet. Maybe that can wait 90 days, right? Like there's all these different questions I think people should be asking themselves on. Is this an urgent expense? Is it non-negotiable? If so, does it need to be done right now or can I, I, you know, you know, belabor it a little bit, you know, just really figuring out what are the most important areas to put your money, because I'm guessing it is finite. Um, And so treating it as like a very precious source so that you can amplify the heck out of it. Um, And and Craig, you spoke to mentorship, but man, find a good coach who can give you the bleacher view, help you with the fiscal side of things, especially if that's not an expertise, because it wasn't for me. So having people like Craig and and our coaches has been just a, a total blessing for me to grow in that way. Yeah. I I have some things to add here too. So what I would say is don't be afraid to start small. I had no investment. I built everything organically. I started out with interns and volunteers who worked for free because they were just aligned with the mission. So I just would recruit them. I would train them. I would, I would, my, the, the trade was I'll teach you things so you can get a job. And I'll give you a recommendation if you work for free for me. So they helped me scale. They got to learn new skills. Many of them are still with me. Some of them went on and got jobs because I taught them, you know, how to copyright or how to make a video or whatever it was. So don't be afraid to start small and be resourceful. The other thing is think about outsourcing. I I had a lot of workers in the Philippines at first where for full-time salaries are under $1,000 a month. And that really enabled us to scale really fast because all of a sudden, you know, instead of paying $5,000 a month for one employee, I could get five employees for the same amount. So looking at your opportunities in this global landscape, are there ways to outsource? And partners, business partners. I mean, I had my first business partner by episode two, Timothy Tan, and he was like the tech guy, the finance guy. That just enabled me to focus on content and culture and all the things that I was good at. So I think 
think being resourceful and teaming up with people, finding the right collaborators is super key. And then I think in terms of dipping your toes into the business and making sure that it can make money before you go invest a whole lot into it. So before you go get a website, I didn't have a website for my agency until like three months ago. You know, it's like, don't worry about the website. Don't worry about the logo can you sell this thing to your contacts that you already have? If you can't sell it to three people who are in your network without doing any paid ads, or then it's not in demand and, and you don't have a good business case. So who do you know that will buy from you? Can you test this out? Can you do a pilot for someone? Can you, my first job for the agency, I was doing Heather Monahan's videos for like $600 a month. And because I had her name and and I was doing her videos and she liked it. Then she, you know, I took over all her social media. Then my next client was a 20-something K retainer. The next client, you know, and it's it's because we were proven, we knew how to do it. But I was, I started small so I could get my feet wet and so I could figure it out. I didn't just like take on that that 20K client huge client right away. I made sure that I had systems and processes and I was able to handle my. a month client first. (laughs) So I think not being afraid to start small and realizing that starting small, in my opinion, is the best way to do it. It's the less risky way to do it. And if you can prove it out and build it over time, it can scale very quickly. Just because you start slowly and small doesn't mean it can't scale very quickly if you do it right. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and 
all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Sizz. Everyone tuning into Yap is the type of person who wants to be highly productive. But in today's world, it's harder than ever, especially while so many of us are working remotely and locked in a room with many of our favorite things right at our fingertips. There's nobody looking over our shoulder to make sure we're doing productive work. And it's really up to us to be productive these days. We have so many distractions that can prevent us from really getting in the zone. And sure, many of us are relying on coffee to get through the day. And while it's tried and tested, it's simply not enough to compete anymore. So how can we take things to the next level? Introducing Sizz, a new brand of nootropics or brain food that aims to improve focus, productivity, and get you feeling in the zone with Flow, their first product. Flow is a ready-to-drink powder that works as an energy or focus enhancer. You can mix Flow with your smoothies, your water, and you can even supercharge your morning coffee. With Flow, you can start to think outside of the box. You can get more creative by getting into optimal states of Flow. You'll get sustained energy boosts throughout the day and your levels of mental awareness will increase, meaning you'll be empowered to better focus on the things that truly matter. Our young and profiters listening are in for a special treat. Sizz is in pre-launch mode and we're inviting you to get first access to their launch product, Flow. You'll get access to Flow and all its brain-boosting glory for 50% off. That's right, half off. Head over to sizz.life slash yap. That's S-I-I-Z dot life slash Y-A-P for 50% off their Flow product. We could all use some more focus, don't you think? Try Flow first at sizz.life slash yap. That's S-I-I-Z dot life slash yap. I'll stick the link in our show notes. So we're going to move it along to Q&A, guys. If you guys are in the audience, you're enjoying this conversation. I see a lot of you guys have been in here the whole time. Go ahead, raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. And I'm going to throw it over to Dimple to ask our first question of the night. 
Hala, thank you so much. This is a great room. I was actually looking for it last week and I saw that you had it for today. So I put the bell on. So my question is, how does someone start a side hustle in an industry that is not theirs? For example, if someone's a lawyer, but they don't want to practice law anymore, they want to do something different for their side hustle. How do they do something outside of their immediate industry? Start with the who immediately go directly to people who have built something in an industry that you have an interest in humble yourself at their feet you know they've already done it they've already know all the challenges all the issues and just straight up ask hey here's what i want to do i'm i'm an attorney i'm successful i do well i don't want to do this work anymore it's not meaningful whatever the lace is and then offer to support them just like Hollis said if you need to work for them for free um, I heard uh, Warren Buffett say something once that was pretty kind of clashy in a sense, but also really powerful. He said, if somebody paid a quarter million dollars to work for me, they paid me just to work for me. I'll make them a multi, multi, multi-millionaire if they're not already because they're going to get in my orbit. And if they're good, they're going to get noticed and I'm going to be able to create connections and they're going to learn the mindset. And so my perspective is go to the people who are already winning enroll them to either mentor, coach, or work for them for free, something, get on their radar screen. And then you'll start to see things from the inside rather than fumble around and call your friends and talk to your parents who are going to be so upset because you went to law school and now you're not a lawyer. Like everybody else, why are, why are we asking opinions of people who have no clue how to execute on things? I say this a lot, but the people who love us are oftentimes not the people who can empower us. And the mistake we make is we go to the people we love rather than the coaches and the mentors who are actually succeeding. So that would be my top tip. Obviously, there's a lot of strategies that can flow down from there. Um, Dimple, thank you for the question. And thank you for allowing me to make that point today. If I hadn't made it clear enough already, um, that would be my number one number one thought. But um, over to the ladies if they want to weigh in. Go ahead, Carrie. Yeah, I, w- I would just chime in that that this humility aspect is really important because if somebody already has a successful career, a lot of times people have a little bit of an ego about like, oh yeah, I already make six figures or a multi six figure income. But if you're starting in a new industry entirely, just bringing that fresh face and that fresh perspective of again growth mindset um, is really going to help somebody because you know we've we've coached people who are doctors do very well. But teaching them how to do a 15-minute presentation is sometimes challenging because they don't have the public speaking muscle or the influence, per se, in our environments. So really come to the table hungry and ready to learn. And then one other big challenge we see people fumble with is they think more content is better. And they're out on the scene, you know, ferociously consuming more and more and more content to try and decode it, but oftentimes less content that is customized for you will outweigh any other input you have. So really going to what Craig shared, like going straight to the source, whether it be content specific or a mentor who has content specific um, stuff for you, that would be my number one suggestion for efficiency and effectiveness. So thanks for chiming in, Dimple. Yeah, thank you, Dimple. I want to echo something that Craig said that I feel like we didn't really stress enough in this conversation yet. And that's, you can't take directions from people who have never been where you want to go. If I had listened to the people who loved me and the people closest to me in my life, I would have 
no podcast. I would have no agency, no company. I would be still working a corporate job and just working my nine to five. When I started a podcast, I was told I was too old to start a podcast. I was told it was too saturated, that it would never happen, that I'm going back to old dreams, that I'm ruining my life. When I wanted to start my agency or take my agency full-time, I was told, um, I, how dare I be so selfish to go full-time and be an entrepreneur? How dare you quit your amazing job at Disney? People would kill for your job. Your business is going to tank. You would have no, you know, you're, you're too emotional. You're too girly to have a business. If I had listened to all this, I would have never had any of the success. And so I was strong enough to listen to myself and know what I had inside of me and listen to my business partners and listen to my mentors like Heather Monahan, who have done the th- has done the things that I want to do and not listen to the people who actually love me the most. Because sometimes people love you so much that they're talking from their insecurities and they're not actually putting themselves in your shoes. And nobody knows what you're capable of except for yourself. So always remember that if you believe you can do it, you should go out and do it. Don't listen to anybody else and anybody else's negativity or insecurities. Don't let that guide your ship. Um, So after I get off my soapbox, I'd love to turn it over to Ella. Uh, What's your question for the panel? Hey, this is, this has been an awesome conversation. So my question is, I know when I first started and typically when I meet or work with newer entrepreneurs, this is one of the biggest things they struggle with is a lot of the time we have a really hard time putting ourselves out there and we're worried about what friends and family are going to think if we start posting about this thing or talking about this thing. And and Gary, I know you touched on this before, but there's a sense of imposter syndrome that sets in. Uh, where it's it's just really tough to get started. What would be your top tips on overcoming that? I didn't see the ladies uh, unmute as quick as I did. I was watching. So um, I have some really specific advice on this. I heard a really cool quote from Marcus Aurelius uh, actually recently, and he said that, interestingly, we always care the most about ourselves. Like, let's be honest. Like, we want to hear our story. We want to talk about us, us, us. How do things relate to us? But then ironically, we tend to care so much about what other people think that we don't even care about that much. It's a really weird conundrum in humanity. And so a couple things that I would recommend doing. Number one, it's good to put yourself out there because now you're on the hook. Like we started telling people we were building a business, we were going to be successful, blah, 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 blah. Like that was good accountability for me because it was like, now I cannot slack. Like if I tell my wife, Carrie's amazing about like eating super clean. Like if I tell Carrie I'm not going to eat gluten for like two weeks, I'm done. Like I just can't eat it because I don't want to go back on my word, right? So that can be a good thing. The next thing in terms of the imposter syndrome, stop trying to pretend what you're not, Right. So if you've never done X, Y, Z, don't say you've done it. Say what you know you can do and then also price accordingly, right? So we have some people that have started businesses that have essentially offered us services for free or are straight up for free because they knew if they did a good job and they provided a service, we would refer them to other businesses. And that's now led them to a successful career doing X, Y, Z, right? And so you don't have to be an imposter at all. You might start out just like like Hollis said, you might start out light on investment. You might also start light on charging. So two mistakes we see, people try to charge too much when they don't have any clients or they don't have any credibility. 
Or the other issue is they start to grow and then they don't increase their prices because they're not growing their self-image as their client base grows and they actually build credibility. Now, if you're coming into the game and you have like a super deep like marketing expertise and you know for a fact you're going to provide crazy value, you can charge accordingly. But if you're just getting in the game of marketing, like you need to price appropriately and then speak what you can do and be super honest with your clients. Clients love that. Like, hey, look, I can't, I haven't done XYZ, but I know I can do ZQP and I know I'll work twice as hard and I'll deliver the bottom line for you. In the end, you're going to feel a lot of value. And if I don't, like, you, I'll give you some of your money back or whatever it is. We've had people sell that to us and it's worked beautifully. And over time, we can grow them and help them grow their business and vice versa and create a really great long-term relationship. So those are a couple of thoughts at the top of my mind. Yeah, I love this question, Ella. So thanks for thanks for teeing it up. One of my best examples of overcoming imposter syndrome is from an old school movie called What About Bob with Bill Murray. You may or may have not seen it. That's okay. You don't need to watch it. But ultimately, he's at like a, a beautiful lake house. He gets on a sailboat for the first time in his entire life. He's like strapped onto the sailboat and he's screaming to the people on the shore, I'm sailing. I'm a sailor. I sail. <laughs> he's just totally totally owning it in real time. And I feel that way about entrepreneurship or really anything, like even us writing a book, there was definitely some imposter syndrome that creeped in there in different moments. And just realizing this, this idea of experiential learning again, in my first year as a business owner, I felt a little bit like an imposter until I started out networking. I actually started to go shake hands. I actually went out and started to run appointments with people even if they weren't successful appointments, there was still a huge part of my brain that activated and was like, look at me, like I'm out doing it. And that in itself really helped change my identity and change the way I thought about myself, which ultimately has a huge reflection in how other people, you know, started to see me too. And so realizing that, you know, your self-image and your identity are very closely intertwined and that they're not fixed. We all have the opportunity to do a rebrand. And like I was a total party animal, like had way too much fun in college. None of my peers would have ever looked at me and thought, wow, there's like a really sharp entrepreneur. So I had to, I had to like be fluid and, and change things and shift things and grow myself in that way. And by doing the work that really created like a much stronger alignment with who I was and the vision that I was chasing. And, and oftentimes I would also say, if you feel like, oh man, a lot of these people are judging me or my, you know, old friends don't believe in me. They might not, but a lot of times that's actually just our own insecurity creeping up and we're really displacing it on other people. Um, a lot of people think about us less than we really think they do. We tend to be very egocentric in that sense. Um, so, you know, not worrying about that. And if, if other people didn't have an alternative for me, I really wasn't going to sweat. Like if they didn't have an alternative that was better than the entrepreneurial path I was on with my coaches, I wasn't really open to their advice anyways. And in so many ways, I sought out to be the influencer versus the influencee. And that actually helped me compartmentalize a lot of the inputs and the noise I was getting from the outside world. So learn how to like turn the volume up on the right people, mute, or definitely turn the volume down at least on people that are hurting your journey and not, not like supporting it. Life's too short to invest into people who aren't supporting you in some capacity. 
Ooh, this is getting juicy and really good. Great job, Craig and Carrie. The one thing I'll add about imposter syndrome, I can't remember who told me this, but it stuck with me since they told me it. And that's imposter syndrome is a vocabulary problem. That's all it is. Imposter syndrome is not understanding exactly what's going on in the room. You don't, you're not understanding all the words, all the acronyms. And what I would say is just study, learn, read books. Somebody spent months years researching for whatever book on the topic that you're trying to learn, you can, you know, have such great ROI on your time if you read a book because that person spent months, days, weeks, you know, writing this and you get to, you know, read it in 10 hours and absorb all that information. And then any words that you don't understand, write them down, write down the definitions, go Google them. If you're in a meeting and you hear a word and you don't understand what it is, write it down, go look at it later and start to really understand all the words that are in the industry that you're trying to enter. And once you start learning and becoming an expert yourself and learning the actual words, that feeling of imposter syndrome is going to go away because you'll know how to converse and communicate with your peers and talk about that topic and you won't feel like you're an imposter anymore. So I really feel like imposter syndrome, a lot of the times, especially if you're like entering a new job or something like that, it's mostly a a definition problem. So Ella, I hope that helps. Do you have any follow-up questions for us? No, that was awesome. I always love hearing people's take on this. So thank you. Thanks, Ella. All right, Dr. Assam, you're up next. What is the question for the panel? Oh, hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on the stage. Um, So I have initiated and started uh, a startup, a small business based on technology and innovation and all authenticated by science and uh, evidence. This is for functional food. So we are trying to move people from having chemical medicine to herbal formulations. Adding this, uh, I have unique for herbal formulation for diabetes, cardiovascular dysfunction, uh, fatty liver, and and, uh, obesity, and diabetes as well. So the, uh, I have spent like lots of money for R&D and um, it is uh, pending, a patent pending now. I need to understand how the market is going to be because I haven't get into that. So um, I need to go for marketing and uh, I can see that you are expert in this area. So uh, could you please help me through? Thank you. So could you get more specific with your question? What do you, what do you mean? Like what question do you have about? That's a very broad question. Unless Craig and oh, Carrie, you feel- So I have covered all the aspects, uh, every uh, stage, like R&D, the uh, pro- production, and the uh, protection, which is uh, patent pending. And uh, now I'm getting into the marketing. So I need to have somebody to help me with that. Thank you. Okay, what I was going to suggest, and then I'll pass it over to Craig, I would suggest you first you want to figure out where your target audience lives. I don't know enough about your product to know exactly, you know, what distribution channels you should use, whether it's direct to consumer off your website or through Amazon. But in terms of your marketing, you need to figure out where your customers are hanging out online. So what is your target avatar of a customer? Where are they hanging out online? And then build your presence on one or two platforms. I think my biggest piece of advice is not to go super wide, go narrow and deep. Don't 
be on every single social media platform. Pick one where you think your target audience is most active. See where your competitors are thriving. See where your competitors are being active online. And then copy that. Take strategies from everybody and then make it your own. Craig, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to make a pretty specific recommendation on this. And I can't say that'll be 100% correct, but I'm feeling very confident in it. Dr. Sam, I would recommend a partner. Um, do you own your business 100%? Are you 100% proprietor? You have a few minority partners? Yeah, it's 100%. Yeah, it's 100%. yeah. so that, that would be my recommendation for you. And here, here's why. I don't know you well enough, so you can run this up against your own life experience, but you're probably more the technician. You're probably, I'm sure you're very intelligent. Obviously, you're a doctor of some kind, unless that happens to be your first name, which would be unique. So you're, you're probably really brilliant and smart in the specific product and why that product is amazing. But you probably need a partner like, like a Hala, quite frankly, who can come in and say like, wow, I believe in this product. I have 20% ownership or 30% ownership. Let's grow this sucker. And they can actually take that aspect of the business and just absolutely annihilate it. And then you can focus on what you're good at just like we talked about earlier in terms of having partnerships. And so my guess would be you trying to own 100% of this and hiring an employee is going to be very expensive and they're not going to be vested. But if you find someone who's really good at marketing just by nature, they love sales, they love to talk, and they want to create like a slogan and they want to put you out there, make them a partner. Don't make them a vendor. And I think that that will really change the nature of your business. Every business needs three good things. It needs the technician, right? The person like the technical, the person, the salesperson, and then like the actual operator or the, or the finance person, depending on how you look at it. So in your case, usually one we're good at, one we're okay, and one we really suck at. And so it's important to start to offset that and offset your strengths um, with other people's uh, weaknesses and vice versa. So that's offset your weaknesses with other people's strengths. Anyways, I was a little worried there, but I would make that recommendation fairly strong for you just based on the way you're communicating right now and probably your technical background. If, if you ping me on the side, I can try to be a little more specific or open a door for you. But if you can't get people in the orbit, like a, like a Hala as an example, offer them equity. And you will get an eyebrow raise if you've built a truly good product. Hope that helps. I think that I was clapping, I that, by the way, Greg, uh, Craig. I wasn't trying to uh, rush you when you speed speed tap. That's a that's a clap on Clubhouse because you were brilliant. And I think that is excellent advice for Dr. Sam. Honestly, I think that is your best route to go. Just like Craig said, just by the way you asked that question, it means that you probably need somebody to be an expert in this space and really take it to the next level with you. Yeah, this uh, five products they have they they can have a great impact on uh, the people's health with respect to uh, like fatty liver, diabetes, obesity, and uh, cardiovascular disease. I, I believe this is going to be a multi-million dollars, but uh, it needs uh, marketing. And as you mentioned, I'm a scientist, PhD. I, I focus on uh, laboratories and uh, R and D and production and prototypes, and uh, awesome. I have been trained for that. But uh, with respect to marketing, so I haven't got into that. So um, I agree with you. If someone uh, would uh, join me as a partner, because this is I'm the old, only owner, 
So I believe it's going to work well, very nice. There's a hundred people here in the room. So if anybody wants to partner up with Dr. Sam, go ahead, tap that follow sign, follow him on Instagram, DM him if you want to hear more about his product. And I hope that you get some clubhouse magic tonight. We're going to move it over to the next question. Dino, what is your question for the panel? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I have two part questions. First one is, you talk about, about I need more clarification. How do you scan roadblock, human roadblocks and bumps, as well as professional jealous people from any project? Second part, me and my wife, we both on a fixed income and we are, we are worried about the syndrome of three Fs, fear, failure, and fall. We wanna start a business, but we don't wanna leave our jobs. So in recommendation, please. I was waiting. I keep jumping in first. So I was going to say, uh, if someone else wants to go for it, but uh, you didn't unmute. So we we articulated some of this before, Dino or Dino, I'm not sure how to, the pronunciation, but don't go all in. Keep your day job, but start to play around in the area of whatever it is you want to do, right? So start small, as Hollis said, and build up over time. Get a couple clients, build on top of that, and then you won't have to invest thousands. You don't have to quit your day jobs. This idea, I don't do anything, is this one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Even Olympic athletes still go to their parents' Christmas party. They probably maybe watch a movie once in a while, like, and they're Olympic athletes. Like, everybody has a side hustle of some kind, uh, even if it's not making money. So just think about how do I dip my toe in the water and move forward. Um, I didn't fully understand the fear and the, all the different acronyms you were using there, but I think going slowly and a nice slow side hustle will eliminate or mitigate a lot of those concerns that you've got, but you've got to do something. Just theorizing and thinking will not get you anywhere. So you got to take steps, but you don't have to take giant leaps and jump in the middle of the ocean. Just go for a walk on the beach and, and get your feet wet. I love that. Great advice, Craig. And we're going to take the last question of the night. Frenchie, how can we help you? Hi, everyone. I've been listening for some time. So I am basically on my way to become a new real estate agent. And I have like very minimal experience in digital advertising as my previous job was assisting basically somebody run their ads uh, for a boutique agency. My question is when you're starting a new side hustle, what are some of the conventional ways, but also less conventional or unconventional and maybe more intuitive ways that you go about really dialing in who you're servicing? Like say you identify on a breakdown, like this is my ideal customer. This is what they do, et cetera, et cetera. How do you go about finding them that's maybe more on the intuitive side, because I know it can change per industry. Hey, Frenchie, great to meet you. And I love the question. Um, you know, Hala really alluded to it earlier, um, is just really identifying where do those people actually hang out? Are they on social media? Are they more in person at networking events? Um, really, what space do they play in? And just really working to you know, transcend your brand into those environments. And I think one thing that's off, often underlooked also is just how do you create ambassadors so that you're not the only real estate services. You actually have a crew of people who are maybe past clients or, you know, potentially future understand the level of your services, your skills, uh, your outcomes, and can really speak 
and vouch for you and even potentially thinking about affiliate programs. Um, Maybe Craig can riff on that a little bit. He's a huge proponent, but just figuring out how you can get other people invested in promoting you is one of the best ways like to really harness that word of mouth and that viral nature um, that we've seen a lot of people grow, particularly in real estate. And then just like good old John Travolta talks about, like do good work and in your in your content or when you show up to events or you maybe have some public speaking access or exposure, just really figure out how to actually, you know, add enough value and, and shed light on your expertise in a way that is not just technical, but also personal and really brings that soft skill and the relational element to it. Because in the real estate industry, so much of people's decisions on who they work with is based on like, not just skill, but the actual personality as well. So those would be a couple suggestions, but Craig, I'll, I'll pass it your way. Yeah, I'm going to take a little different approach to your question, just again, to give some texture, because this is how Carrie and I survive in, in business. I mean, if you're getting going in business, especially something like a, being a real estate agent, it's a fairly like common industry. And there is a lot of people who've had a lot of success. So I would go back to like, what have people done who've created success in, let's say, the target market that you want? In terms of intuitive, I would shy away from that. And again, this is a different approach. So you may or may not like or appreciate this, but I would say just work your face off and land as many clients as you can and service the daylights out of those clients. And then over time, streamline what your client base might look like. And so like, as an example, we have a, a company we're co-founding in the, in the automation space, and we can service clients anywhere from a million dollars to enterprise like billion dollar businesses. We're taking anything right now because we just need to keep the lights on. But we already have a plan how over time we're going to zoom in and focus on specific niche industries and specific size companies. But like right now, it's just about learning the skills, developing a rapport, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and then harnessing that and getting more specific later. So I think the intuitive feeling part of me says, no, just go out there and build as many relationships as you possibly can and like get crazy. And in terms of affiliates, this is the most underutilized process, I think, in the world of business today. Um, You can pay people a small amount of money to give you leads. And when they do that, you pay them and you win and they win. And it is a really beautiful program that you can set up formally or informally with a lot of people. And people who are influencers and have real rapport with people can refer folks to you and they'll do business just because of that person's referral. So if you have people that have access to their client base, which is, in my opinion, most people who want to buy a home, (laughs) I would say like that would be a great place to start and kind of get them to promote you and create that field of ambassadors that Carrie was talking about. And and we'll let uh, Hala bring us on home. Amazing. Frenchie, that was a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. With that, we're going to close out this session. Carrie and Craig, where can people find you and learn more about everything that you guys are doing? Yeah, thank you for asking, Hala. Um, We show up on Instagram um, under uh, tandem.consulting. We're also live on LinkedIn a lot. So Carrie Bolig and Craig Klickner. And our website is tandemconsulting.co.co. Um, and yeah, our book is on all the major outlets. And um, yeah, we we definitely show up to help and, and serve people in any way we can. And it's just been a big honor, Hala, being on here. We really love your work and just immensely respect the journey and the success you've had. So thank you so much for having us on. 
Thanks a ton. It was a blast. Hopefully this was helpful for people. We could do this all night long, literally. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, This was such an excellent episode. I appreciate your time and wisdom. Make sure you guys go grab their book. Thank you to all my podcast friends who joined me on stage. Uh, Have a good night, everybody. This is Hala and Friends signing off.